All right, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Mark 10, 1 through 12. It can be found on page 845 in the Pew Bible. 845 in the Pew Bible. Mark 10, 1 through 12. The bottom of 845 and then 846. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would give us wisdom in your, into your word. Help us learn and understand what Jesus had to say here in this text. Help us rightly apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was reading a commentary yesterday on the topic that we will be discussing this morning, and I thought, wow, this nails it. What a description of the world that we live in. And so I want to share with you this morning of what this writer observed. The author opened by describing how our American culture is preoccupied with self-fulfillment, And it has worked its way into the institution of marriage. And in his opening lines on this passage, he quotes from a book called Divorce, How and When to Let Go. Okay, so he's quoting a book on divorce, how how and when to let go. And and here's what that book said. Here's what he quotes. Your marriage can wear out. People People can change their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things. Change is part of life. Change and personal growth are traits for you to be proud of, indicative of a vital searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it is especially easy for two people to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it is no longer fulfilling, can be the most successful thing that you have ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. That's the culture that we live in. We are conditioned to evaluate the rightness or legitimacy of what we do by the quality of emotion that it generates. How one feels. If it makes someone happy, if it makes one happy, if it enhances their value, it must be good and right what the culture says in some sense. And in some way, that's the society that we live in. And it has directly led to an assault on the institution of marriage 
in our day. But if we think that this is a new problem in our day, we are mistaken. The issue of marriage and divorce is a hot topic. And in, a, in fact, this isn't new with us in our culture, but it was, a, it was just as big of an issue in the first century in Jesus' day as it is now. And that's what we are going to see this morning. So, as we consider this passage, Jesus gives us a lesson on marriage. And this becomes a call for his disciples to follow him with respect to marriage and not be conformed to the culture on the nature of marriage. So first, the problem of divorce. My first point is this, the problem of divorce. We see this in verses 1 through 5. But before we, before we jump into these verses, I just want to say from the outset that there probably isn't anyone in this room that hasn't been affected by divorce in some way, whether directly or indirectly, whether immediate family or extended family or even with friends. There may be some who are listening here this morning, whether here or online, who may simply just be in a bad marriage right now and are considering divorce or who have contemplated it in the past. And so I understand this is a sensitive issue, and it's a significant issue. And I'm not going to say everything there is to say about this topic. For me to give a, a biblical theology of marriage would take weeks. Right? It'd be a whole sermon series, maybe 12, 14 weeks. It'd take months. So I don't intend this morning to say everything there is about divorce and remarriage and all of that. I'm not going to spend much time addressing the exception clauses of adultery and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse that we see in other passages. I'm not going to spend time answering, what about divorce if it happens before a person becomes a Christian? Okay, I'm not going to answer that. Or what about Christian leadership in someone who's been divorced? Or how to counsel someone who just got divorced? Okay, so, so those are real issues, real questions that aren't related to what I'm going to say this morning or talk about this morning. So if you have a question, if you're wondering about any of those questions, please talk to me, whether after the sermon or uh, sometime during the week. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Or if you're struggling... Right? If you're struggling, talk to me or someone that you trust so that we can help you. So I want to approach this text with sensitivity to the issue and at the same time focus on and address what Jesus is emphasizing in this passage as our primary text. I want to hold up the biblical view of marriage for you this morning and call us to greater faithfulness as followers of Christ. That's my goal. So with that being said, verses 1 through 5, and, the, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of, 
And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So Jesus has now left Capernaum. He's heading south. He headed south toward the region of Judea. And then he wakes, makes his way across east, across the Jordan. This would have been the land of Perea. And so Jesus is beyond the Jordan and crowds are gathered to him. He, he's a good distance from his primary base of operations. And yet his fame and his popularity c- continued to spread. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. There were many in the crowd who had gathered to hear what Jesus had to say and were amazed by him. But then the conflict arises. The conflict arises with the Pharisees now back on the scene. These religious leaders, as we've seen, have questioned Jesus. They've criticized him and they've sought to condemn him. And in verse 2, the Pharisees come to Jesus in order to test him or tempt him. Their intentions are evil. They had no desire to learn from Jesus. Rather, their pursuit of Jesus was for the purpose of trapping him. And in order to test him, they ask a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? For the Jews living in the first century, there was universal acceptance of divorce. So why this question? What's the significance of this question? Because it seems out of place, right? We've walked through this story in Jesus' life and his ministry. Why this question right now? Who cares what Jesus thinks about marriage or divorce or remarriage? As we know, divorce was a hot topic. It was controversial for a number of reasons. Do you remember where they're located? Beyond the Jordan. Do you know who ministered beyond the Jordan? John the Baptist. Do you know who reigned this area? Herod, this was part of Herod, Herod the Great. This was part of his kingdom, the kingdom of Herod the Great. And we learned back in Mark 6 that John was put in prison and then it ultimately led to his death because of this issue. Mark 6, 17 and 18. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So now here we are. Jesus is in that region. And their question might lead to, a, might lead to political trouble for Jesus. You may recall back in chapter 3 that the Pharisees had joined an unlike, unlikely alliance with the Herodians in a plot for how they could destroy Jesus. How Jesus responds to this question might mean political trouble. And certainly they're expecting Jesus to answer the same way as John the Baptist. And not only will it be a be political problem, be a political problem for Jesus, it could also become a religious problem. It was controversial in the religious realm as well. It could result in conflict from the crowds because of the popular belief that was held to in that day. 
You may not be aware of this, but there are two schools of thought when it came to the issue of divorce. Two schools of thought. They, they were associated with two rabbis. One was liberal, one was conservative. Rabbi Hillel, the liberal, taught that divorce was allowed for any cause, any reason whatsoever. If a man became dissatisfied with his wife because she burned his meal, he had grounds for divorce. Oh, she burnt my toast. I get divorced. If a man found someone else attractive, then he had grounds for divorce. This became the any, any cause view, any cause view of divorce. And most held to this view, and not surprisingly, in that culture, divorce was very common. Rabbi Shammai, a conservative, taught that divorce was only allowed for adultery, sexual immorality. So they were both advocating these positions based on their understanding of Deuteronomy 24.1, which says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Some indecency. What does indecency refer to? That's what they're trying to, to answer and ask and answer here. So, so the, the issue at hand is, on what grounds was divorce permitted? On what grounds was divorce permitted? It's interesting that in the parallel passage of this account, in Matthew 19, we are given more detail and we're given the full question. So listen to, listen to Matthew's account of this story and the question raised by the Pharisees. Matthew 19, 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, now here it is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You hear it? Any cause. That's what they're asking Jesus. In a sense, what does he think of the popular view of the school of Hillel, which allows for any cause, any reason whatsoever, any matter, for why she wouldn't find favor in his eyes. That seems to be the issue. And then Jesus answers them, what did Moses command you? I just love how Jesus does this. They ask him a question. He answers them with a question. To which they reply in verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. They're alluding to Deuteronomy 24 and the words of Moses, which actually isn't a passage that commands divorce. It was a passage that spoke of a permission. It permitted it. It was allowed. It was a text of concession. And this was to protect the wife. That text was intended to protect the wife. Prior to Moses, a man could divorce his wife by a mere word. But now, with Deuteronomy 24, the husband had to go through the trouble of getting a certificate of divorce drawn up and witnessed to and then formally presenting it to her. It was actually intended to stop men from hurting their wives. In the context, regulations were put in place in order to discourage hasty 
thoughtless divorce. That's what's going on in, in Deuteronomy 24. The certificate of divorce protected her. It gave her the ability to move on without accusations of her committing adultery if she remarried. It protected her from being treated as a piece of property. It protected her from being exploited by their husbands, by her husband, who might send her out, right? The, the husband would send her out, and then he'd want to bring her back in after the husband, the pre, former husband would die. So this prevented any marriage back to their original husband. So in the context of Mark, we observe that the religious leaders sought to prove the lawfulness of divorce for any cause. In verse 5, Jesus points out that divorce is the result of their hardness of heart. Their hardness of hearts. Moses did not command or encourage divorce. He merely permitted it. A person was not required nor obligated to get divorced. The problem of divorce is that it is a result of sinful hearts. Second, the purpose of marriage the purpose and design of marriage. We see this in verses 6 through 9. For from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus explains that the law permitted divorce due to hard hearts. But that was not the original intent and design for marriage. So the Pharisees, they want to approach this question about divorce, and they focus on the end. right? They focus on the end of marriage. But Jesus seeks to recover God's will for marriage by helping them discover the original purpose and design of marriage. Jesus turns our attention and their attention to an earlier passage at the beginning of marriage. You see the difference? They're coming in from the end, and Jesus is saying, no, let's start from the beginning and what God intended and designed. He takes them back farther. He takes verses back farther in the Old Testament to the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. Before sin entered the world, God had a purpose and design for marriage. In the creation account, God established one man and one woman, male and female, for lifelong marriage relationships. This is the way God created it. This is the way he created us. God created male and female, and God himself joins them together into one flesh covenant relationship. It was God's will and his intention in creation, right? This is prior to the fall. That a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. We see here that God created marriage to be a permanent bond. One man, one woman, made for one another. Marriage involve the making of a new family. Right? That's what we see here. All, all other relational bonds come after your spouse. There's a leaving, right? There's a leaving in some sense of, of one's parents and, f- and forming now a new family unit. 
The husband's loyalty is now to his wife. And this new family unit takes priority over all previous allegiances, whether his parents, whether his own rights. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 7, that the two are now responsible for the needs of one another. He holds fast. He cleaves to his wife. I've heard it described like this. Two pieces of wood glued together, not intended to be separated. If they are, what happens? Both pieces, both pieces are broken and torn apart. Marriage makes the man and the woman one flesh. The two become one. It's a new creation. This is more than just a physical union. It's also a spiritual union as well. It is a union accomplished and established by God. Notice verse 9. Verse 9 says that God joined them together. This word joined together reminds us of being yoked together. Right? You're yoked together in which the oxen are fastened together and they're working together. And this is the Lord's doing. Marriage was divinely instituted by God and intended to be permanent and should not be separated by people. And with this statement, Jesus elevates the value of marriage. And in doing so, he's confirming the testimony of John the Baptist. So Jesus presents God's will and intention for marriage as a lifelong covenant relationship between one man and one woman joined together by God himself and therefore should not be separated. That's Jesus' answer to the question, is it lawful? Now third, third and finally, the practical implications of marriage. The practical implications. Verses 10 through 12. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. As this scene comes to a close, we aren't given the response by the Pharisees. They're, they're, off. they're out of the picture now. Instead, we see Jesus privately teaching his disciples more on the matter. Right? They have more questions for him. Jesus' statement would have been absolutely shocking. It would have been shocking for these disciples. And so they have these questions, and he continues to explain. In the parallel account, you know how shocking this is? In the parallel account in Matthew 19, they even wonder if it's better not to marry. So Jesus instructs them here in, in verses 11 and 12, and he provides further clarification, right? This is further clarification as well as the implications of marriage. So what, what's Jesus teaching here? He is teaching his disciples that divorce is contrary to God's will. And, and he's setting before them the highest standard of marriage, right? He's upholding marriage before them. He is teaching his disciples what it looks like to follow him. That's what he's doing. In a culture that was prone to a casual view of marriage and divorce, 
and the frequency of divorce, sounds familiar, right? It would have been tempting for the early Christians to take a similar view. Right? Remember, these guys, these 12 disciples, he is raising up future leaders for the church. That's what he's doing here. And so he's, he's unpacking this for them. When most of the people in that day held to any cause, any, re, the any reason view, Jesus stands against this. And he defends the original intent and design of marriage, even even if it would mean a similar fate of John, to John the Baptist. And in doing so, he boldly is calling his disciples to a self-sacrificial love for others in the context of the home, in the context of, context of one's marriage relationship. Now, what I want to do is give you some further practical implications as we seek to apply this to our lives in in a greater way. So three implications that I see from this, that we can take away from this. Number one, confess any self-righteousness or hard-heartedness in your own life. You might be wondering, how'd you get that? Confess any self-righteousness or hard-heartedness in your own life. The answer that Jesus gives in our passage addresses the question of whether or not it is lawful to divorce his wife. The question posed by the Pharisees and even their response to divorce from Deuteronomy 24 revealed their hard-heartedness. In their attempt to trap Jesus, they brought a question to him that focused on their duties, their rights, their external obedience to the law. And in doing so, it reveals a self-righteous heart. The very fact that they even brought a question about exceptions, right? Just think about this. They're bringing a question to Jesus about exceptions, exposes a heart that was seeking a condition on which they could still externally obey the law. You see? In their attempt to trap Jesus, they were trying to maintain a permissive divorce policy. They intend to keep their policy casual and to allow for divorce for any cause... Because in doing so, they could still claim that they're obeying the law. This would maintain their external self-righteous image. What is my duty? How close, right? Think about this. How close can I get to the line without crossing it? It's a self-justifying, legalistic mindset that approaches the law by considering, what does it allow me to do? Or, what can I get away with and still be considered righteous? And marriage and divorce simply serves here as one example of their self-righteousness and their hard hearts. So beware of the Pharisee in us, in me, 
in us that approaches the Bible in this way. Jesus directs their attention away from a legal discussion to the sacredness of marriage. You see that? He directs them away from what can I be allowed to do and get away with to how close can I align myself to the will of God in whatever I do. So ask yourself, when it comes to obeying God, am I trying to figure out how to meet the minimum requirements? Oh, I've met the minimum. Oh, I'm still obedient. Or am I striving to please God and become more like Christ in my relationships? Is following Christ for me more about just keeping the rules, well, I, did, I didn't do this, or getting closer to Jesus through a personal relationship with him? Because even on the issue of, of marriage and divorce, someone could be committed to remaining married, which I would encourage and would want you to strive for, and you should strive for it because of the purpose and design of marriage, that it's God's will. But someone could say, I'm obeying, I'm still married, but be living as though they are divorced. Living as though they've cut themselves off from their spouse. Living totally separate, distinct lives, and it turns into simply a, a legal transaction. And this, too, is contrary to God's will and intent for your marriage. So, in your marriage, for example, in your marriage, or whatever you do, whatever you do, even if you're not married, whatever you do, be on the lookout for self-righteousness and hard-heartedness that either boasts in external obedience or condemns others for their failures. Right? So that applies to everybody, everybody in the room. Be aware of approaching the Bible. Notice what the, notice what the Pharisees did here in their approach to the Bible. Be aware of approaching the Bible or interpreting the Bible as an attempt to justify your actions. Right? That's what they're doing. Oh, well, let me go to the text that, that justifies what I want. Right? That's what the Pharisees are doing. Number two, so second implication, affirm. Affirm the true significance of marriage and the tragedy of divorce. Affirm the true significance of marriage and the tragedy of divorce. Sadly, as I mentioned earlier, the institution of marriage is still under attack today. In fact, marriages today seem more like meeting one's personal needs or emotional needs, and then when, when there's no longer a need that's met or, or something better comes along that, that's more fulfilling, it's discarded or it's dismissed entirely. Well, no need to even get married anymore, right? We can just live together, we get all the benefits of it, and what do you know? As Jesus has pointed out in this passage, Marriage is a sacred covenant made before God 
Between one man and one woman, it's meant to be a lifelong union. But that's only, that only addresses part of the picture. Right? If you had a big puzzle piece here, big picture, that's only part of it. Marriage, according to Ephesians 5, is a picture, throughout the Old Testament even, is a picture of God's relationship, God's relationship to his people. It's a picture of Christ's love for his church. So to belittle marriage or minimize its value is to miss or minimize or forget, right? Christians can forget this, what it's really pointing to. Marriage points beyond itself to something greater, the sacred bond that we have with God as his people through a faith union with Jesus Christ. And because of this, we should seek to affirm and uphold marriage as we reflect then to others the beauty and significance of God's relationship to his people. Let me say that again. We should seek to affirm and uphold marriage as we reflect to others, right, to outsiders, to unbelievers, to our own, even believers, as we reflect the beauty and the significance of God's relationship to his people, of Christ's love for his church. So, this might sound like something I'd say at a wedding ceremony. But here we go. Husbands. Husbands. Are you loving your wives the way Christ loves the church? Are you sacrificially laying down your life for your wife? That's what we're called to, men. Seek to provide for her protect her, and promote her. Strive to lead her and love her. Wives, wives, are you displaying respect for your husband? Are you coming alongside him to be a helper? Students, students, those who are single, even any age, those who are single, maintain a high view of marriage. Maintain a high view of marriage. Don't give in to the ways of the culture. And cultivate, cultivate a life of humility and sacrificial service for others. This will serve you well in your home as well, right? Even students, if you eventually get married, it will serve you well. And all of us, right, singles, all of us, encourage, encourage those who are doing well in their marriages, right? So children, you can even say this. You can even let your parents know, you know what? I am thankful for you too. You're doing a great job in your marriage. You're setting a good example for me of what my marriage wants to be, what I want my marriage to look like someday. Right? You can do that. As a church, we can do that. We can come alongside one another. We can be proactive. 
right, in, seeing, in, in building strong marriages in our church, by investing in the lives of one another, and by sacrificially laying down our, our lives for others. So we affirm the significance of marriage. We, we, we also acknowledge the tragedy of divorce. Divorce, as we have seen, is contrary to God's will. It was not God's original intent. And so the challenge, the challenge is that many, many of us have been affected by divorce. Right? This is the reality that we live in, in a sinful and fallen world. It's a tragedy. It is a result of sin. It affects both people. It affects kids, parents, and friends, community. One person stated it like this. Divorce may end the covenant between two parties, but it does not end the relationship. Marriage partners are like two plants that have grown together in the same pot for so many years that their roots have become intertwined. It becomes difficult to ever separate the two neatly or completely. Even if one does, the plant has become shaped by the presence of the other that it has lived with. We must guard against casual divorce and acknowledge the tragedy of divorce. Every divorce is different, and counseling people through it, right? I counsel people through this. It must be done on a, on a case-by-case basis. Number three, rest in the hope and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rest in the hope and power of the gospel. The significance of marriage and the sensitivity to the tragedy of divorce should remind us and call us to rest in the hope of the gospel. Though it's contrary to God's will and design for marriage, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus' mercy is more. There is hope and there is power in the gospel to overcome hard-heartedness, bad marriages, and divorce. And so I would just encourage you to rest in that. If there's someone that you know, maybe it's you, who's currently in a bad marriage, and you're exhausted, and you're, you're wondering to yourself, how am I going to get through? What can turn my marriage around? What can turn my kids' marriage around or my parents' marriage around? The answer is the gospel. The answer is Christ. Jesus can soften hearts. He can transform lives and marriages. So trust in him, rest in him, turn to him. And Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for his bride. If you're trusting in him, he will never leave you nor forsake you. If there's someone that you know that has gone through a divorce, or even you personally, maybe you were unfaithful, Christ's mercy is more. 
If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you believe that he died on the cross to take away your sins, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the last line of the, song, the, the, line of the song that we're going to sing here shortly, what love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. So let's confess any self-righteousness in our own hearts that we have. Let's affirm the significance of marriage and the tragedy of divorce. And let's rest in the hope and power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize this morning the reality of living in a sinful and fallen world. Even our own struggles, right, of self-righteousness, we confess that to you this morning. We confess even hard-heartedness in our own marriages for those that are married. We acknowledge that we sin and we, we fall short of your glory. We do pray that you would sanctify us Help us become more like Jesus in our marriages. Help us sacrificially lay down our lives for each other. Help us be forgiving to our spouses, for those that are married, knowing that we are sinful as well. We pray for those who aren't married. And if they look forward to the day in which they will be with you forever, at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. We thank you that you will never leave them nor forsake them. We pray for those that are younger in our church. We pray that they would uphold and, and, and maintain this view of marriage. That even the relationships that they have today, they'd seek to honor you and glorify you in it. So we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. Help us be an example to those around us, to our unbelieving friends. Help us even come alongside the marriages that are struggling or those that are going through a difficulty and tragedy of divorce. Help us, help us reflect Christ. Help us remember that his mercy is more. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's all stand and worship.